and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Hello, I'm Pat Malone, and I'd like to welcome you to The Church in the Home, where we share the light of God's Word from our home to you. I know the truth of God's Word, and I believe what I heard, yeah, yeah. I believe what I heard. I believe what I heard, so I'm standing on the Word of God. You can take your Bibles and go to Matthew chapter 7. And this evening we're going to take a look at how we can bear fruit in our lives. For the past couple of weeks, I've been spending a lot of time working in the yard, getting everything ready with spring. And spring's a real busy time. You know, we've got an acre of land, so there's lots of sticks to pick up and lots of things to do. Um, A lot has to happen in early spring. But that doesn't compare to what a farmer has to do in early spring and how busy they are. And... That time of year is very crucial. It's very crucial that a farmer gets things ready and gets the ground ready and gets it all plowed up and, as spring goes on, plants the seed so they can have a harvest. They know that that's crucial to their livelihood and in some places, and certainly throughout time, pretty much in all places, it was a matter of life and death if you got that crop in or not. Um, because if you don't get the seed planted, if you don't do the things that you need to do, then you won't have a harvest and you won't have food, right? We understand that. Uh, You know, if Jerry was to sell me a farm and he sold me this big, you know, 100-acre farm, and at the end of the summer, I come to Jerry and I say, What kind of farm did you sell me? Nothing's growing. I don't have any corn. I don't have any wheat. I don't have any tomatoes. I don't have any, I I have no crops at all. And he says to me, well, you know, how many acres did you plow? How many acres did you plant? And I say, well, none. I wouldn't have much of a right to complain, would I? We understand that. You wouldn't expect to grow something if you didn't do what was needed to plant and to keep it going. And as simple as that is, and as easy as that is to understand when it comes to the physical realm, so many times Christians, when it comes to the spiritual realm, are kind of going to God saying, why isn't anything growing? Why don't I have more fruit? But they haven't done what they needed to do to get that fruit. They haven't planted. They haven't sown the seed. They haven't continued to watch over that field and to make sure that they had a crop coming. You know, in Proverbs 20, verse 4, you don't have to go there, it says, The sluggard will not plow by reason of the cold, therefore shall he beg in harvest and have nothing. The lazy guy, you know, when it's early spring, he says, Well, yeah, you know, it's kind of a cold day. I don't really want to go out there and plow, you know. It's cold, and I'm stiff, and I'm tired, and I'm old, and, you know, this is hard. I don't want to do any of this stuff. But if he's 
takes that attitude, when it comes time to harvest, he's going to be going around begging all of his neighbors for food because he won't have any. Because he didn't do what he needed to do. It's that simple. In Matthew chapter 7, there's the wonderful... We begin taking a look at how we have fruit in our lives. In chapter 7 and verse 15, it says, Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Beware of false prophets that come in sheep's clothing. And, you know, that admonition is a warning against those that would say that they're speaking for God, that would say that they're, you know, telling you what's right and what's helpful. But, in reality, they're just wolves in sheep's clothing. They look like they're harmless. They look like they're just part of the flock, but in reality, they're just there to devour. And it's speaking in this specifically about false prophets, but, you know, they're not the only wolves in sheep clothing that you're going to encounter in life. There's a lot of wolves in sheep's clothing in other areas of life as well. You know, in the political realm, in, in every, everywhere you go, you'll find people that would seem as though they're harmless, would seem like they just want to help, and in reality, they are just ravening wolves. Verse 16. Ye shall know them by their fruits. That's how you know. That's how you know the genuine from the, from the counterfeit. That's how you know who's for real and who's just trying to take advantage of you. Who's trying to use you for their own gain? Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither a corrupt can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. A good tree can't bring forth bad fruit or a bad tree bring forth good fruit. You can't have, uh, although it finally died, we, we had in our backyard a tree that was sold to us as a pear tree, but it was grown plums on it. Now, I don't care what it said on that little tag in Lowe's, it was not a pear tree. How do I know that? Because it was plums. It was plums. <laughs> Pretty simple. Because a pear tree can't put forth plums no matter how they label it. You can only produce what you are. And here it's talking about what our nature is. We have the nature of God. And because of that, we can produce that which is good. Somebody that doesn't have that can't produce that which is truly good. Verse 19. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. By your fruits ye shall be known. By your fruits ye shall be known. And we want to produce fruit. You can have a good tree that doesn't produce much fruit. 
because it's not taken care of. It's not planted in the right place. It's not watched over. It's not taken care of in the right way. And if that is the case, well then it'll never produce the fruit that it should. We have a nature that is perfect. Because when we're born again of God's Spirit, then we have this wonderful nature that enables us to produce that good fruit. But we have to do what we need to do to be able to produce it. Look at Matthew chapter 12. Matthew 12. Here again, it's talking about trees and fruit. Verse 33, either make the tree good and his fruit good, or else make the tree corrupt and his fruit corrupt, for the tree is known by its fruit. O generation of vipers, how can ye, being evil, speak good things? For out of the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. A good man, out of the good treasure of the heart, bringeth forth good things, and an evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. So, <clears throat> this is getting a little more specific. Not only do we know that a good tree brings forth good fruit, but here it's, being, it's showing a very specific category of life, that which we speak. The words that we speak are going to be representative of what's in our heart. A good tree, again, verse 35. A good man out of the good treasure of the heart bringeth forth good things, and evil man out of the evil treasure bringeth forth evil things. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The words that we speak come out of the abundance of our heart. So what are we putting in to our hearts because we're going to give account for the words that we say and we're going to give account for the actions that we take that fruit in our lives and it's going to be representative of what we put into our heart what we build what we sow in our lives what are you sowing in your heart what are you putting in there because what you put in there is going to be what comes out of there. If you feed on negatives, well then that's what's going to come out of your heart and out of your mouth. If you continue to just let the old nature have its way, then that's what's going to be represented in your life. Look at Matthew chapter 13. In Matthew 13, there's the parable of the sower. And the parable of the sower <clears throat> shows you the different kind of ground that seed falls on and that, how receptive that ground is to that seed and how, how well taken care of that ground is is going to indicate how much fruit there is in life. Matthew 13, verse 1. The same day went Jesus out of the house and sat by the seaside. And great multitudes were gathered together unto him, so that he went into a ship and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. And he spake many things unto them in parables, saying, 
Behold, a sower went forth to sow. And when he sowed, some seeds fell by the wayside, and the fowls came and devoured them up. Some fell upon stony places where they had not much earth, and forthwith they sprung up because they had no deepness of earth. And when the sun was up, they were scorched because they had no root, they withered away. So you've got some seed, this guy's sowing the seed, and he's just kind of throwing it out there, and some lands on the waste on the road. And that's just immediately picked up by the birds, and it never has a chance to do anything else. And then the second category is the stony ground. And that stony ground, there's not much depth of, of earth. So right away, the sun gets it. On the side of our house, there's a, what looked like a little garden area. And we never were able to grow much of anything in there. And it took a while before we figured it out, but when you dig down more than a couple of inches, there's a cement pad underneath it. It's just the foundation. They just kind of extended out or something. Well, that's like this ground. It's stony. There's no depth, so it doesn't really have a chance. Verse 6, verse 7. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprung up and choked them. But other fell into good ground and, and brought forth fruit, some a hundred, some sixty, some thirtyfold. Who hath ears to hear, let him hear. So there's four categories of ground. Okay, the roadside, the stony ground, the ground that's thorny and it just chokes the, the seed once it begins to grow, and then the good ground. His <clears throat> disciples asked him to explain the parable, and he does down in verse 18. Hear ye therefore the parable of the sower. When anyone heareth the word of the kingdom, and understandeth it not, then cometh the wicked one, and catcheth away that which was sown in his heart. This is he which receives seed by the wayside. So the seed is in each category the same. The seed is the word of God. Is that seed perfect seed? Yes. It's not like there's any problem with the seed. It's all about the different ground it's received in. Some people are like that seed sown on the wayside. Immediately, as soon as it's heard, the adversary comes and steals it away from them. Verse 20. But he that receives seed into stony places, the same as that heareth the word, and anon immediately with joy receiveth it. The second one, the one without the stony ground, they hear the word, and their immediate reaction is, this is great. This is terrific. I'm so excited. Yet he hath not root in himself, but dureth stands for a while. For when tribulation or persecution ariseth because of the word, by and by or immediately he is offended. So that's the one on the stony ground. He's all excited, but the first time somebody comes along and says, you believe that stuff? What, are you kidding me? Well, that's it. He's offended, and that's, that's all he's got. Verse 22. He also that receives the seed among the thorns is he that heareth the word, and the cares of this world, and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, 
and he becometh unfruitful. The third category, he's starting to see some growth in his life. It's starting to grow. It's starting to happen. But before he can get to the place where he really sees the fruit in his life, before he can really see the fruit of the Spirit, then it just gets choked out by the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches. Pleasure or pressure? Pleasure or pressure? Some people, there they are, they've heard the word, they're starting to grow, and then, you know, stuff happens in life, and stuff will happen in life. And pressures come along, and it just chokes the word out of their life. And other people, if, they, if the adversary can't get to them that way, you know, he tries to give them a better deal. You know, why, here's a great promotion. Here's a great job that, you know, keep you from ever having any time for God. Or you've been looking for, you know, somebody in your life, and here's this beautiful little gal, and she's just so sweet and good looking, and she doesn't want you to have anything to do with God. And so there they are, just the, you know, pleasures of life keep them from ever really having the fruit. Verse 23, But he that receiveth seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. The fourth ground is that which produces fruit. Where that root, where that seed takes root and it grows and it doesn't get choked out, and it produces fruit. And some people will produce fruit 30-fold, some 60, some 100, according to just their hunger, their desire, their believing. We want to be that good ground. We want to see fruit in our lives. Look at John chapter 4. Fruit falls into a lot of different categories in the Word of God when it talks about fruit. Many times, and if we have the time, we'll get to this today. If not, we'll do it next time. Many times, fruit is referring to material abundance. At other times, it's referring to the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll get to that for sure. And sometimes that fruit is talking about the other people that will believe because of your stand. Look at John chapter 4, verse 35. That's the case here where he's talking to his disciples. And he says, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh the harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are already white to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. He's saying, don't, you know, some people say, well, you know, at some point there'll be a harvest, but the harvest is there. We just need the people to labor, to, do, to actually do the work. And those that do labor, those that labor sowing the seed of the Word of God, they're going to receive a blessing back for it. Here it says, one sows and another reaps. Verse 37. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, 
and ye are entered into their labors. Sometimes the, what, those that are sowing never actually get to see that harvest. They don't get to do that reaping. They're just faithful to sow. Now they'll be rewarded at some point. But that's the case many times. And somebody else comes along and, and they reap that harvest. He told his disciples that they were reaping a harvest that they didn't sow. Not that they had never spoken the word, but there had been generations and generations of prophets that came that spoke God's word, that stood for God. Men like Elijah, men like Jeremiah, men like Isaiah. Men who stood for God and spoke his word, and they didn't ever enjoy the harvest, but they were faithful to, to continue to sow. And had they not done that, at the time Jesus Christ came, and his disciples spoke the word, there wouldn't have been anybody for them to harvest from. Look at John chapter 15. This analogy of fruit is used all throughout the Word of God, especially in the Gospels and Epistles. Speaking of how we produce fruit, and one of the greatest things, one of the greatest keys, one of the most important things in our lives to produce the fruit that's most important, the fruit of the Spirit, is our fellowship with God and with His Son, Jesus Christ. In John 15 and verse 1, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Husbandman is like a farmer. Every branch of me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. And this whole chapter, and we won't go farther with it, but this whole chapter talks about this relationship of being in Jesus Christ. Him and us and us and Him. And it's the, the relationship of fellowship. That without Him, we cannot do anything. Without Christ, we can't do anything. Oh, you can, you know, get up in the morning, you can go to work, you can, you know, make a living and get by. But in terms of the things that really matter in life, in terms of the spiritual matters, in terms of the spiritual fruit, without Him, we can't do anything. It's not our own ability, it's not our own intellect. It's not about us you know, trying to reform ourselves or the old man. It's not about a self-help kind of approach to life that we better ourselves through our own efforts, that we pull ourselves up by our own bootstraps. Mm. It's about being in fellowship with Him. It's about that personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. It's about walking with God and walking by that Spirit. And it's that relationship that enables us to really produce fruit in our lives, the kind of fruit that's worth having. Galatians chapter 5 describes that fruit. You can go there. Galatians chapter 5 where it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And it lists nine specific fruit of the Spirit that we evidence in our lives as we walk in the Spirit and as we operate the Spirit. And in order to really have the fruit of the Spirit, it not only requires walking in fellowship with God, but it requires 
manifesting, operating that Spirit in our lives. Spirit is that gift of Holy Spirit that anybody receives whenever they confess Jesus Christ as Lord and believe that God raised Him from the dead. You do that at any point in your life and you've got eternal life, you've got Holy Spirit. And that Spirit is power. It's power. Jesus Christ told His 12 that they would receive power when that Holy Spirit was come upon them. His last-minute instructions to them on the day of, Pen uh, of the Ascension. And on the day of Pentecost, they received that Spirit. How did they know it? Because they were sitting there and this, this warm, fuzzy feeling came over them. Is that, is that what happened? Have you ever read Acts chapter 2? And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and they got this warm, fuzzy feeling, and they just knew that they were somehow changed and they were different. Is that the experience of Pentecost? No, it's not. If you read Acts chapter 2, that's not what happened. That's not how they knew that they had spirit. It says that they spoke with tongues. They spoke in tongues. Because that's one of the manifestations of Holy Spirit. There's nine manifestations of Holy Spirit. Nine. It's listed in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Speaking in tongues, interpretation of tongues, prophecy, word of knowledge, word of wisdom, discerning of spirits, Faith, working of miracles, and gifts of healing. Those are the nine. And you can read that in, in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. Those are the nine proofs, evidences of it. Spirit is power, but the power without the manifestation of it doesn't do you much good. You know, I can pay my electric bill every month, but if I don't ever turn on a light or plug in a television or, you know, a blender or a stove, I don't, it doesn't do me much good, does it? No. no. Power, unless it's utilized, unless it's manifested, is meaningless yeah, in a practical sense. You know, it's not meaningless, but as far as benefit it is, we have to operate that spirit. We have to manifest it, and it's up to the believer to do it. Now, God's Word tells us how, and there's instruction and so on on how to do that. But, until we manifest it, then we don't enjoy it. Once we manifest it, though, not only is there the benefit, the profit of that specific manifestation, but there's also the byproduct of the fruit of the Spirit. That fruit of the Spirit that's listed here. Verse 22 of chapter 5. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. And this is contrasted if you read the context to the works of the flesh. There's the works of the flesh, and that's a lot of stuff that you, you know, don't want in your life. Stuff that you're only too happy to get rid of. But in contrast to that is the fruit of the Spirit. Now, is there anybody, and you know, if you fall into this category, then you know, by all means, never learn any more about how to walk in fellowship or how to manifest spirit. If you're not interested in love, if you're not interested in joy, if you're not interested in peace, I know, I, I tried love, I don't want that. Joy, no, I, I like depression and misery a lot more. Peace, no, anxiety and confusion I find much more attractive than peace. 
I, I've never met somebody that said that to me, okay? I've never <laughs> met somebody. There's people that you would seem by their actions to think that they might feel that way, but I've never actually met somebody that was really their heart's desire. People want love. They want joy. They want peace. They want this fruit of the Spirit. But if, you know, it's kind of cold this morning and I'm feeling kind of stiff and I'm kind of feeling old and it's just don't want to actually get out there and plow, then can I expect to have the fruit? No. no. If I don't put in the effort, if I don't do what it takes to have that fruit, I'm not going to have it. If I don't sow that seed, if I don't put that word of God in, if I don't sow it to my heart so that I can walk in fellowship with Him, if I don't manifest the Spirit, if I don't operate it because, you know, well, nobody ever taught me. Okay, well, you know, find somebody to teach you how to plow. Find somebody that will <laughs> teach you how to plow up that field. Somebody that will teach you how to sow that seed. And then follow through on it. Because it's a harvest that's worth having. We want that fruit in our lives. And in order to get it, we have to do our part all the way through to the end. God bless you. You can't bring me down, the word is on my mind.